It is Wednesday, August 4th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to night two of the Draft Sharks Invitational. I'm your host, Matt Schaub. Back with me tonight are Jared Smola and Adam Krautwurst. And we are kicking off the we're in the midst of the second ever Draft Sharks Invitational now, as I mentioned. We had draft one last night. Some interesting things. A team that didn't take a quarterback for basically the entire time that we were streaming. We're going to wait and see what's going on tonight because we've got another group of experienced drafters, some familiar analysts. Adam, what surprised you most from night one? Yeah, probably um, Team 11, Anthony Crescenzo, uh, not taking a quarterback to around 13 and then only taking two of them. You know, I think we have a rule that we didn't talk about last night is we can't leave the stream until everyone has a quarterback. <laughs> so hopefully we don't get any more uh, 12 or 13th round uh, QB1 picks. But uh, yeah, that was probably the most su- surprising one to me that stood out. Everything else was um, just looked like di- different people playing out their different strategies. Yeah, I, that was definitely the single most surprising thing. Jared, what stood out to you about night one? Yeah, sorry. I was uh, tuning Adam out there, making sure this draft got off <laughs> time and everything. Um, and th- I'm not sure what Adam said, but the big, my biggest surprise was just how late some of those quarterbacks went, as we talked mm-hmm. about. Again, I think, you know, the uh, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, I thought those guys went, you know, half a round or so later than they should in this super flex format. Yeah, we'll get into where quarterbacks went, what might be different tonight from how it went down last night, exactly where all the positions sorted out, uh, and some of the other surprises. Of course, we are in year two. Last year it was five leagues. This year it's six of them, so we're up from 60 to 72 teams in this tournament. It is a 25-round draft. It is best ball scoring. It is tight end premium. That means one and a half points per reception for that position. Straight PPR scoring for everybody else. You start two running backs, you start three wideouts, you start one tight end, but there are two flex spots. It is a super flex league, so one of those flex players can be a quarterback any week. So we're basically all looking for two good quarterbacks, probably three-plus quarterbacks on our roster overall. So we'll see exactly where this goes tonight. If the quarterbacks go any earlier tonight than they did last night, unlike most expert draft setups, as we mentioned before, not just bragging rights on the line here. We've got money on the line. The winner of every one of those six leagues gets 250 bucks. $2,000 goes to the top prize. It was Peter Overzet last year. This year, we've got a, a larger field vying for that money. And we'll go ahead and meet some of the drafters tonight as things get underway. So the draft order for League Two, number one, Jason Moore. He's one of the three personalities that make up the Fantasy Footballers, the industry's top-rated podcast. He finished top 10 in the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest 2017, 18, and 19. Jason is at JasonFFL on Twitter. Number two in the draft order is Billy Muzio. He is a co-host of the Fantasy Football Fanalysts uh, podcast driven by Fantasy Data. You can find his stuff there as well. He's also an experienced high-volume player at FFPC. Billy finished top 20 overall in last year's FFPC Playoff Challenge. He sports multiple league titles in the FFPC Main Event and Football Guys Championship. I know he's been drafting a lot with friend of the show and friend of Draft Sharks, Todd Burrows, in best ball drafts this year. So we'll see how Billy drafts tonight. We'll see how Todd drafts in a later one. I believe he's in my league uh, that's drafting next week. Third on tonight's draft boards, Graham Barfield. He is a co-owner and content producer 
at Fantasy Points. He's a former contributor at NFL.com, among other places. Probably best known is Graham for developing his own yards created stat for analyzing running backs. He finished number four overall in last year's DS Invitational, one spot ahead of me in the overall standing, so I'll be gunning for Graham this year. He is at Graham Barfield on Twitter, just to make sure nobody's confused. Number four, Mike Pereka. He won the 2019 FFPC main event, as if you needed to do any more than that to make your name known in this industry. He also finished third overall in the 2018 Football Guys Players Championship. So safe to say that Mike knows how to draft in a tournament format. Mike is at Mike P-O-R-21 on Twitter. Adam, I know you're familiar with Mike Pereka. Yeah, Mike's uh, one of those high stakes guys. Uh, certainly respect his game. I think he's, I think he's Team Vader in the in, in the draft room. Unless he's changed that, uh, he can maybe tell me if he if he has. But yeah, Mike's a Mike's a Mike's a problem to, to draft against for, for sure. Same with Billy. Billy's another uh, Billy's another high stakes guy. I know he's a, he's an industry guy as well. But but I, I you know he I see him grinding in those those high stakes streets. Seem to be more and more people crossing those lines either way, and it can be tough to tell who's a pro and who's a Joe at this point. So maybe maybe it's a good thing that it's blurring. And of course, this is the tournament that's trying to blur that line and see who's just good at fantasy football. Number five in our draft tonight is our own Kevin English. In addition to the content and the personalized answers you've gotten used to from him over the years, Kevin's a pretty serious player in fantasy as well. He took second in the Millie Maker on DraftKings. A couple years ago, he sits number one all-time in Fantasy Pro's Daily Fantasy Accuracy Cup standings, including multiple top five single-season finishes in that competition. Kevin also ranked number one out of 139 competitors in the Betting Pro's Weekly Picks competition in 2018. So not just fantasy for him. As soon as New York State allows us to actually do it on a regular basis, I'm connecting my sportsbook apps directly to Kevin's brain and going to let him make me some money over the next couple of years. Dan Williamson is drafting right behind Kevin in this draft or ahead of him on the around the turn. Dan is a co-host of the Goat District Pod, which I have been told is also streaming tonight's draft, though they're normally focused on farming tips, I'm guessing. Dan plays high stakes in all areas, redraft, dynasty, best ball. He's on Twitter, at Overhyped Sleeper. That's no E at the end, S-L-E-E-P-R. He's got A.J. Brown as his avatar, so we'll see if Dan Williamson comes away with A.J. Brown in this draft or if that's just a misdirection number seven is anthony amico he produces dynasty content for established the run he's a staff writer for football guys he is also a teacher and a football coach when not generating content you can find anthony on twitter at amixta a-m-i-c-s-t-a number eight is rich rebar who was a guest of ours on the draft sharks podcast around nfl draft time of course people i'm sure are familiar with him his twitter bio really already describes what he does much better than i could connoisseur of context fake football meteorologist at Sharp Football, the Swami of Konami. So, yes, it was Rich who coined that term, Konami Code QB, for anybody who didn't already know that. Rich is at Lord Reeves on Twitter, and good luck saying that out loud without the bad British accent. Number nine in our draft order, Jerry Hooten, is a first-time competitor in the DS Invitational, certainly not new to tournament format. He won the 2020 FFPC main event, so that makes the past two FFPC main event winners in this draft tonight. So we'll have to watch and see what they do in this particular draft. He talked to Adam and Mike Shope on the Deep End podcast back in April about that win. So you can check that out on DraftSharks.com, any of our various podcast channels. Number 10, Theo Greminger is another experienced high-stakes player. He finished second in the NFFC's Silver Bullet Contest in 2019. He ranked number one that season in the NFFC's combined standings. Theo is part of the GOAT District podcast as well, contributes to PlayerProfiler.com. He is at the OG Fantasy on Twitter. 
Number 11, Scott Fish, runs a little tournament you might have heard about called the Scott Fish Bowl. He was a content creator before that, a pioneer of the Debbie format. Scott runs the Safe Leagues platform with Ryan McDowell, co-hosts the Commission Impossible podcast with him as well. Scott is at ScottFish24 on Twitter. And then finally, at number 12, John Paulson, the director of forecasting at 4 for 4 Football. He won the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest twice, has ranked top six for nine of the past 11 seasons. You can also hear John Paulson on the most accurate podcast, 4 for 4 4 for 4 He is at 4 for 4 underscore John on Twitter. Jared, what do you think of the field tonight? Strong field like they all are. Um, I want to get into this draft, though, because you – know, this is why I think we've created like the, the best fantasy format out there now, because just look how different this first round even was co- compared to what we saw last night. I, I know Adam has last night's board pulled up, and we had a, a bunch more running backs go in the first round last night, just three running backs in the first tier, six quarterbacks in the first round, which, again, I think is you know closer to what it should be. You have the two tight ends going with uh, Kelsey and Waller. And, and to me, the, you know, the most surprising start would be uh, Paulson opening with Rodgers and Herbert, not necessarily the fact that he went quarterback, quarterback, but the fact that he took both of those guys ahead of Russell Wilson, who is still on the board as of right now. Yeah, I'm so fired up over over <laughs> what I'm seeing right now. I mean, in what what fantasy league in the world are you going to see three running backs and one receiver taken in the first round of, of, of a draft? It's like, it's awesome. This is what I expected last night is yep. more quarterbacks, you know what I mean? More, you know, I think last night we had two tight ends as well. Yeah, so the same two tight ends, but this is fun. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where guys kind of let these running back values fall. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. Yeah, I mean, John Paulson goes quarterback, quarterback from the 12th spot. You know, last night, Geller, Gills from the 12th spot, went receiver, receiver. So it's just, it's going to be really cool to see how guys build. And yeah, to have, have it be Rogers Herbert there is pretty interesting. Um but, you know, neither of them were going to fall back to him. So We do have the draft board running live here on the stream. You can also find it in the Draft Sharks Discord. Um, so head into there, head into, head into the DS Invitational thread. We're not going to be on here for the entire draft. We're going to stream probably about half of it, depending on how long it takes for the last team to draft a quarterback, maybe the last team to draft a running back. I know last year, one of the one of the leagues we were waiting for Mike Beers to finally take his first running back. So, you know, we'll see exactly how tonight's draft goes, but you can find the entire thing in the Draft Sharks Discord and follow along even after we're done. We'll also post the results after this draft completes. Let's talk about some of the rest of the picks. Christian McCaffrey went first overall for the second straight night. It was Dalvin Cook second off the board tonight. Patrick Mahomes third to Graham Barfield. Then Devontae Adams to Mike Pareka. Kevin took Josh Allen at number five, so a little bit earlier, but still Josh Allen as the second quarterback off the board. Then Dan Williamson took Travis Kelsey. Lamar Jackson is the third quarterback to Anthony Amico. Kyler Murray to Rich Rebar at number eight in the first round. Dak Prescott right after that to Jerry Hooten's team. So Jerry clearly not that worried about, about Dak's shoulder strain to this point. Theo took Darren Waller at number 10. And then Scott Fish took Alvin Kamara. And then the two quarterbacks that you guys mentioned – to John Paulson. So Jared, do you think that Russell Wilson would have, I don't know if easily is the word, but you definitely would have gone Russell Wilson over one of those two guys at the turn. I, I would have, and they're close. I, I think Wilson, Rogers, Herbert are all in a tier together behind those top five. So it's close. But I mean, again, the, the fact that Mike got Wilson, you know, in the late second round, I think, you know, that that's, that's the single best quarterback value we've seen come off the board so far. It's interesting that not only did we see six go in the first round tonight as opposed to three last night, but 
that didn't appear to give any urgency to the three drafters that picked in between that turn and Mike Pareka's pick at the ninth spot in round two, because mm-hmm. there are three drafters in between there that passed on Russell Wilson and took a different position instead and don't have a quarterback to this point. So people not, I don't know, chasing a run or feeling the urgency to get those quarterbacks. We'll see how early those guys decide to address that position after the Justin Herbert pick following Aaron Rodgers to John's team. We had Derrick Henry go to Scott fish, then Tyreek Hill to Theo Reminger, Greminger. So Neither of those guys has taken a quarterback yet through two picks. Scott Fish started with two running backs. Theo took a tight end and then a wide out. Adam, what do you think about starting with those two? What do you expect to come back to them? Yeah, I think that they're going to um, – are we talking about J- Jason Moore here? No, talking about Scott Fish and Theo. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting, I was, I was just thinking um, Scott Fish probably has the most experience with stuff like this because the Scott Fish Bowl has a, a unique kind of – I don't want to say similar because they have a lot of different scoring settings – but you know they're they're tight end premium. They're super flex. Um, this this is best ball. But um, but yeah, I think he's I think Scott Scott will probably just wait it out, and he's probably has tiers of quarterbacks that he that he's gonna try to get different pockets of. And to answer um, Joe there in the in the comments, yes, this is super flex. So that, that that's why you're seeing you know six quarterbacks go in the first round. So so yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Scott went running back, running back. I mean, if he, who knows, he might have Kamara. And Henry as is, you know, number number three and number four running backs, and to get him there at the basically the, the, the turn is pretty pretty sweet for, for him. Um, but we'll see. Maybe he's going to be like the uh, team eleven last night that's going to wait 12, 12 rounds to get his QB. Yeah, always a good question to ask. It is super flex. Thank you, Joe, for not being the person who says why are there all those quarterbacks going? You guys are idiots. You don't know how to draft this. It's definitely a better way to approach it. So we mentioned the three quarterbacks going in round one last night. Four of them went in round two. Tonight we had six in round one. We had three more in round two. So that's nine off the board in the first two rounds versus seven last night. Another four went in round three last night. So we'll see how round three plays out as we move further through it. Um, We had eight running backs in the first two rounds last night. Uh, we had Aaron Jones go as the fourth running back off the board right in the middle of that round. Tonight it was Derrick Henry as the fourth running back, but around that one-two turn with those quarterbacks pushing him out. So moving beyond the picks by Scott and Theo that I mentioned, Jerry Hooten took Stephon Diggs to follow Dak Prescott. Then it was Zeke Elliott to Rich Rebar's team. He's got Kyler Murray and Zeke to start things off. Calvin Ridley to Anthony Amico who started with Lamar Jackson. We got Antonio Gibson to Dan Williamson's team with Travis Kelsey already on it. Austin Eckler went to Kevin English with Josh Allen. I'm sure he's happy to get Austin Eckler as the seventh running back just past the middle of round two. Russell Wilson, as you mentioned earlier, Jared, went to Mike at pick nine of round two. He's the eighth quarterback off the board at that spot. Then it's Aaron Jones as running back eight. DeAndre Hopkins as wide receiver five. And back at the turn, at the two-three turn to Jason Moore's team, he took Tom Brady as the ninth quarterback, his first quarterback. Um, Jared, what do you think about Russell Wilson, Tom Brady lasting and any other picks in that mix? Again, Wilson stands out as a big value. I mean, like, I think he should be going clearly ahead of guys like Brady. And then we had Tannehill go at three, two. So, you know, the fact that he got Wilson there, I think um, that's a win for Mike. The other thing that sticks out for me through these first two rounds is th- these drafters sort of reacting to the starting lineups here where you start two, you have to start two running backs, but you must start three wide receivers every week. So I, I think we see it a bit more wide receiver heavy early on. Like, you know, we had, here wide receiver five go ahead of wider uh, of running back nine where in a league that you know starts the same number of running backs and wideouts I, th- I think you'd see it be a bit more running back heavy early on so you know again drafters definitely um, playing to the format here I think 
Overall, the numbers match, though. We had eight running backs yeah. in the first two rounds last night and five wideouts in, in that range as well. So, yeah, it would be curious to see how this continues. For me, Russell Wilson is pretty easily ahead of Justin Herbert. And it's not that – I wouldn't be shocked if Justin Herbert outscores um, Russell Wilson this year by any means. Justin Herbert had a, a fantastic debut season. But I, maybe I'm listening too much to the hype of the faster-paced offense that's going to let – the Seattle players actually, I don't know, run more plays, score more points, do some of the things that they do well. But it's more so a bet on Russell Wilson because um, beyond the second half of last season, he's just been very good for almost all of his career. Yeah, no, I think that's good value on Russell Wilson. Another big value, too, from yesterday to today was Kittle. I mean, Kittle, I mean, to get him at the 3-1, you know what I mean, of a tight end premium, I mean that's pretty that's that's pretty sick to 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 have the possibly the number one running back and I, mean, I don't think Kittle's gonna finish as the tight end one but he could um, to have both of those guys locked in I mean Kittle went where did he go yeah Kittle went at the fourth pick of the second round last night so that's a that's a that's a huge kind of difference there and you can tell it's it's probably just a difference in in, in, in team build really between between all these guys. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a wide variation in the way people feel about George Kittle right now either. I mean, I don't think he's as safe a bet for targets as either Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey, but the upside for him certainly is close to those two guys. Sure. Yeah, we should mention too before we get on to round three here, Dan Williamson uh, making Antonio Gibson the sixth running back off the board. You know, definitely planting his flag there on a guy who, you know, tends to go four, five, six spots later among running backs, but you know, decent chance he wasn't going to get back to him in round three. So if, if you like him, you know, no issue, um, you know, just grabbing your guy there. It's always too bad that we can't play those things out and see if he would have made it back to him because he took another running back in the next round. It was the 11th running back off the board. It's, po- it's certainly possible that Antonio Gibson makes it to that 11th running back spot, although it's tough to bet on um, right now. So yeah, definitely a, a, a flag planting move by Dan Williamson on that pick of Antonio Gibson there. Mentioned George Kittle starting off round three to Jason Moore's team. So he's got Christian McCaffrey, Tom Brady, George Kittle, Billy Muzio's got Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Hopkins, and now Ryan Tannehill, 10th quarterback off the board as his first QB. Graham Barfield followed Patrick Mahomes with Aaron Jones and Saquon Barkley. Barkley's the ninth RB off the board right here. I think that's a fair price for him. You know, round three seems crazy, but it's super flex, so you have to factor that in. Um, Adam, are you willing to take Saquon Barkley among the top 10 running backs? You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit tougher to frame it when you're not looking at a, a standard draft and you're looking at whether he's in round one or round two, but do you like him less than any of the running backs that have since gone in this one? Do I like him less? Um, I like him the same. I, I it's just, you, you, that's like a parent who, when you ask them who their favorite kid is, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, before you even asked me about Barkley, I was looking at Graham's team like, man, I get Mahomes and Barkley with a little Aaron Jones sprinkled in the middle there. Um, that could that could be a smash team too. You know, like a, a team that could just go six straight receivers here. Uh, and if Barkley stays stays healthy or get gets healthy, I'm torn on Barkley. You know, I feel like I'm a high volume drafter, right? So I want to get him um, in spots where he's like big value. Like I feel like th- the time to get Barkley is 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 now. Get him in the mid second if, if if you can of 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 a normal you know a, a non super flex draft. Get him at the best value that, that you can, knowing that as soon as a report comes out of camp that he looks good or the coaches like what they see or whatever, he's going to skyrocket back up a half around. So if you if you think Barkley's going to going to get there, then now's the time to jump on him 
because even by the end of the draft starts in the invitational, that's a week away. You know, there could be camp reports that say he looks great. He could skyrocket in just this tournament. So I think being able to get him in the mid third to go along with the QB one is is a, is a pretty sweet deal. Or Barkley could not finish his broccoli at lunch at training mm-hmm. camp, and then Joe Judge might make him run sprints, and he can tear his other ACL, and then the whole thing will be lost. Absolutely. <laughs> what a, what a goofball <laughs> camp that is right now. Every single report just makes me chuckle since I don't like the Giants anyway. It's a mess. <laughs> Beyond Saquon Barkley, we had DK Metcalf. So Mike Pareca has started Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. He got the Seahawks stacked there. We'll see if he makes Jared happy by adding Tyler Lockett to it. Um, beyond this one. But, Jared, I know you like the Russell Wilson DK Metcalf stack. Yep, and we saw that last night from Jack Miller, I believe it was, who took Wilson in the second and DK Metcalf in the third after taking Aaron Jones in the first, so a couple Packers in the first round and the Seahawks stack. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if, if Mike doubles that up with Lockett. So, again, maybe there's you're going to have to differentiate because apparently everybody's going to get the Russell Wilson DK Metcalf <laughs> stack this year. So you got to go either Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, or all of them. Or make sure you get that Dwayne Eskridge late in the draft when we've long since stopped streaming. Uh, Kevin <laughs> took another running back, took Joe Mixon, who I think he has in 98.3% of his drafts so far <laughs> this offseason. Josh Allen, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon for Kevin's team so far. Running back 10 off the board, certainly a fair price. Clyde edwards Lair, the next one off the board uh, with Antonio Gibson and Travis Kelsey on Dan Williamson's team. So no quarterbacks for him through three rounds. Anthony Amico took Jonathan Taylor after that at running back 12. We talked about Saquon Barkley slipping a little bit. Jared, do you think that this is a the spot where Jonathan Taylor belongs? Yeah, I think it's about right. I think where Saquon went was about right at this point. You know, the, the tide even starts seems to be starting to turn on Saquon even. There's been some positive reports over the past couple of days. So I wouldn't be surprised if we already saw his, you know, ADP floor. And then yeah, Taylor, you know, he went RB13 last night and he goes RB12 here. So that that seems to be where he's settling. And that's another guy whose price is going to change as we get closer to week one, as we, you know, learn whether the Colts are going to have Carson Wentz and or Quentin Nelson. I think anywhere in that range is fair for Taylor. I would take Najee Harris over him, but if you say prefer Taylor, I think he is a better player. So I can certainly understand leaning in that direction. I saw from James Brimacombe on Twitter today, who does a lot of the best ball drafting. He shared the beginning of a puppy draft where he took Christian McCaffrey won and then got Jonathan Taylor and CEH at the two, three turn. So that's how far Taylor is capable of sliding, especially in that format where people have been letting those round two and three running backs slide down the board. It it looks like a buy opportunity in general on an underdog, whether Jonathan Taylor is your guy or not. I had a draft where I started McCaffrey and then got um, Joe Mixon and now I'm drawing a blank on who the third one was, but somebody, uh, Najee Harris at the two, three turn. So a buying opportunity on early running backs there. Justin Jefferson followed Jonathan Taylor off the board in this one. Nick Chubb went RB13 next. Then Najee Harris is RB14. So we had Rich Rebar start with Kyler Murray, Zeke Elliott, Justin Jefferson. Then he added another wide receiver after that. We'll get back to that one. Jerry Hooten took Nick Chubb as his first running back in round three. Dak, then Stephon Diggs, then Nick Chubb. Theo Greminger followed Darren Waller with Tyreek Hill, then Najee Harris, Scott Fish, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts, he where did he go last? So he went at 35 tonight. He went at 41 last night. So yeah. close to where he went in the night one draft, but less separation between him and Kittle, Adam, as you kind of mentioned earlier. Yeah, last night him and Kittle went side by side, uh, tight end four and tight end five. 
Um, and, and, and tonight there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of a gap, but it went, went to the same team. So again, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Hawkinson guy. I mean, Pitts, Pitts, to me, Pitts has that, that, that t- uh, touchdown upside. I mean, if they're going to line him out, out wide, especially inside the red zone, he's certainly a, a monster target there. Um, but Hawkinson has, you know, uh, has that target upside as being the number one pass catcher on that team for a team that's going to be losing most of the year, um, every, every game. So, um, yeah, no, I like, uh, I, I like that, that start. That's a, that's a neat little two, two stud running backs, two stud tight ends, uh, starts. And, um, and, and there's actually been two quarterbacks. So last night at this point, there were 14 QBs taken. Now there's only 12. So maybe Scott Fish gets lucky and gets a quarterback or two to fall to him. Uh, that weren't there at, at that point uh, at that point last night. Yeah, you mentioned Scott's four-player start. We've got Alvin Kamara, we've got Derrick Henry, we've got Kyle Pitts, we've got TJ Hawkinson, so he doubled up on tight ends. He is the only team that doesn't have a quarterback to this point, and it was that 11 slot last <laughs> night that kept us waiting <laughs> rounds and rounds and rounds for first quarterback, so we might have to watch out. There might be just some kind of hex on that number 11 spot in these drafts. So you're right, though, in that quarterbacks are sliding a little bit, and Scott might get a little lucky with what gets back to him. But, Jared, it's going to be interesting to see where he does take the leap at that position. And, again, I think there's plenty of options still out there. You, you, we kind of see this, you know, those top seven, eight guys kind of fly off the board. Then the quarterbacks do start to, to, to slow down a bit. So you know, Scott won't have any problem locking up two starters. We'll see, you know, how early sure. he wants to go him and then how early he wants to grab the third. Adam, how, how surprised are you at the gap between Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill who went fairly close together and then Matthew Stafford at QB 11? There is a, a pretty big range of no quarterbacks in between those. You think Matthew Stafford would normally be closer to those guys? You think maybe it's the thumb that's pushing him down a little bit? You know, I think maybe, you know, and this probably applies to every draft, but all those teams had a quarterback except for Dan Williamson. So maybe those teams didn't want to double up so early at QB. Um, which I, to- I, I totally get, but I think at QB 11, the quarterback 11, um, I think that's fair. That's where he normally goes about. I mean, I, w- I would take him over, over Tannehill. Um, but, um, that, that, that's just me. But no, I think that, I think that spot at quarterback that he went is fine. Um, but I think those teams all had quarterbacks there and that's probably why they, why they passed on him. I think if I were choosing between Tannehill and Stafford 10 times, I would probably take five of each of those guys because they both have very good receivers. They both seem set up overall. Uh, Tannehill, it might be, well, Tannehill's probably not quite the passer Matthew Stafford is, but I also wonder if Matthew Stafford's a little bit overrated on that front. And clearly Tannehill has the rushing upside. So Jared, where would you, 10 picks, it has to be either Stafford or Tannehill. What do you think the split is between those? Uh, seven Matt Stafford's, three Tannehill's for me. Yes. I just, I, I just trust that Rams offense more than I do Tennessee's offense. I mean, I mean, we've talked about in the podcast about the coordinator change in Tennessee. I'm a bit worried about that. Um, Tennessee's just so thin too. Like, and Julio Jones is already missing practice now. Like, if he, if he misses time this season, then you're kind of back to you know, obviously where we were pre-Julio trade, where it's kind of AJ Brown and not much else. So, that, I, I, you know, that, I, I just think Tannehill has a bit more downside. Than Matt Stafford does. I, I really struggled to see Stafford disappointing this season with those wide receivers and you know with Sean McVay running that offense. Jared, I think you're forgetting that Julio Jones has not practiced since 2012. It's just <laughs> not something he does anymore. They put him in his hyperbaric chamber. They unlock it on Sunday, and he comes out and he yeah. steals cornerback souls. He also hasn't stayed healthy for an entire season since 2012. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, I don't know. 
Uh, I think that might be going a little far, but yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, obviously, there is a little bit of fragility there in Tennessee if Julio Jones goes down. But then if Julio Jones goes down, maybe we finally get the A.J. Brown season that we were hoping he was going to have before Julio Jones arrived. So we'll be watching that. I'm also wondering about the Rams offense. It's going to be a big year for them because they really fell off in production last year. And especially if you look at scoring versus yardage, it's easy to say it's because of Jared Goff. But this year will show us whether it was just Jared Goff, whether it's the league getting used to Sean McVay's offense and learning how to defend against it. I'm curious to see how it plays out. I'm buying into the Rams offense this year, but I'm going to be watching to see if we learn a little bit something that we thought was Jared Goff's fault last year. I think we're overestimating Jared Goff. Like, I think he's really bad. And I think that, like, I mean, Sean McVay had to tell the guy what to do up until, like, the microphone went out in his headset, like, the entire time. Like, I think Stafford is – Stafford, I think, was overrated early on in his career. He had Calvin Johnson that he would just chuck it up to. But I think Stafford is so much better than Goff, and he's a slinger. He's a gunslinger, too. So uh, I think for fantasy purposes, he's, he's going to be, you know, just – so much better. And it, and there's, you know, it's hard to put in projections too. like, you know, guys playing with a chip on their shoulder or guys having a rejuvenation in their, in their career, moving from Detroit to Los Angeles, like moving to Hollywood. Like, I just feel like you can't put that in projections. You can't put that in profiles, but there's something to be said for that. Um, and I just think that the, 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 the sky's the limit with this, with this Rams office. I think it's going to be like 2018 when they had that explosion. Like you said, Matt, I don't, maybe the league caught on to McVay. I don't, I think McVay's young enough and smart enough to be able to transition enough to to make it back to where it was in 2018. I don't know. You always you, you also think that you're indestructible when you're young. Maybe he's too young. Maybe he needs to get a little older and start calling <laughs> people young. young bucks like Jared did last night. <laughs> Adam, t- Adam, tell me, tell me how much having a chip on your shoulder increases a touchdown rate, and I'll and I'll uh, I'll bake that into Matt Stafford's projections this season. I think that's in PFF somewhere. I'm sure they have <laughs> they have yeah. that chip on their shoulder. But that's what I'm saying. You can't. You can't factor that in. Like we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We don't know all that type of stuff. I just, I'm just buying into, um, you know. I mean, Stafford, Stafford got traded for Jared Goff. I mean, how does that not like, like make you? I mean, granted, there was there was picks involved, but like, oh, goodness, no. Great. I mean, there's no chip involved there. They, that's exactly what he wanted them to do. He was like, guys, please, I, I'm, please. I'm, I don't have that much left in my career. I would really like to play in a good place. I know that my house looks like a museum. Um, but I want to move to for real California instead of just living in California, Detroit. <laughs> so right. we'll go back to the picks here. DeAndre Swift, by the way, was 15th running back off the board to John Paulson's team. Obviously, John likes him. I can't say that I can get behind DeAndre Swift as a 15th running back, but I know that, that Jared likes him better than I do. So, uh, Jared, you, what do you think about DeAndre Swift versus the few running backs that have followed him off the board? I think that's right where Swift should go. I, I do think he's sort of – the start of a tier behind, you know, your, your Najee Harris's, your Nick Chubbs, your Clyde Edwards, Alaire's. But I do in full PPR, I prefer Swift over, you know, JK Dobbins, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders, Montgomery, those types. Um, again, because of that pass catching, I think, you know, he is a good bat for 50 plus catches this season and could get up to like 60 plus. I think I, I like Carson a lot better than Swift, but I do. Yeah, think we, we know. Swift, I think Swift is going to start a lot of tiers this year. It's just a matter of whether it's the people who own him or the people who passed on him. We did finally have a quarterback go to Scott Fish's team, so nothing dramatic like last night. And then he took a second one right after that. So before we get to other picks, let's look at what Scott did. Um, I think that he's probably going with a color-coded chart, so everybody who's drafting with him now should expect two green picks next to start at receiver. 
He went with Kamara and Derrick Henry to start, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson after that, then Kirk Cousins late in round five, Matt Ryan early in round six. Those are the 16th and 17th quarterbacks off the board. I would imagine that especially since he already drafted Kyle Pitts, Scott Fish is happy to get those as his first two quarterbacks in rounds five and six. I'm sure he's he's obviously happy about getting those two guys. Um, I'm just surprised he didn't take maybe one with a little bit more upside, like Justin Fields right there that went to Theo. I would have taken, you know, Cousins or Ryan and then and then Fields. I just feel like um, you got to have a guy with with kind of monster upside. Um, and, and Ryan and Cousins do not have that. So I think those were kind of floor floor picks there. But mm-hmm. I love the strategy of, how, of how, how he's doing it, you know, running backs, two elite running backs, two elite tight ends, um, and then two two quarterbacks here. And then maybe, like I said, maybe, maybe he'll pound receiver for the next seven or eight rounds. But this draft is certainly um, behind in quarterback compared to last night. So he was able to get a little bit better value on, on the quarterbacks he was looking for. I think the question you know, is between Matt. Uh, go ahead, Jared. I was I, I would guess Scott was just trying to you know lock up two guys who are, are you know going to start all seventeen games barring injury, um, you know versus Justin Fields who you know, I know Matt doesn't want to hear it, but you know there's there's a chance he you know doesn't start the majority <laughs> of the season. Yeah, I mean that's what I was about to say. I think the question at quarterback there is whether you take the guy that you know is going to start or whether you take the guy that if he starts he could be terrific in fantasy, but he also might not start for a long time depending on how Andy Dalton plays in the regular season. So, you know, it, that's a question we none of us will be able to answer until we're in the midst of the season. I think if you do wait a little bit, it makes sense. Well, I, you know, I was about to say it makes sense to get guys that you know are going to start, but it also then makes sense to shoot for ceiling. So, I mean, you could go either way. I don't think there's a right or wrong. We'll see how it goes. I would imagine that even if it was close, already having Kyle Pitts on the roster pushes him toward Matt Ryan. It probably would me too. I mean, I don't like Kyle Pitts or Matt Ryan for fantasy this year uh, at what you have to pay for them. You know, price is more of an issue for Pitts than it is for Ryan, but I'm not, I don't like the upside on either of them, but if they're going to help you win a league or an overall championship, like in this particular format, you're going to need the quarterback to at least be pretty good to get Kyle Pitts to that ceiling. That'll make him worth that tight end four pick for you. Yeah, it's a perfect example of why, you know, stacking makes sense um, in, in all leagues, really, in best ball especially. Like, if Kyle Pitts has a big season, Matt Ryan is, you know, going to at least pay off quarterback 17 price tag. And then, you know, vice versa. If Matt Ryan has a big season, it's going to be because Kyle Pitts had a nice year. Yeah, and there you go, Matt. Uh, Scott just confirmed that's exactly what you were saying. He wanted a guy that was locked into a second starter, which is, which is, which is fine. That's fine. Yeah, and I would say that maybe if you didn't have Kyle Pitts – already then maybe you lean toward the ceiling guy but yeah it certainly makes sense to take somebody that you know is going to be starting for the team so let's go back to recapping some of the picks um beyond Matthew Stafford we did we did have J.K. Dobbins go at running back 16 so a few spots after DeAndre Swift but the next running back off the board then it was A.J. Brown Mark Andrews is the sixth tight end off the board toward the middle of round four Jalen Hurts is the 12th quarterback to Dan Williamson's team that was his first quarterback CeeDee Lamb after that, wide receiver 10 in this one. He was wide receiver 11 last night, I believe. So a slight climb for CeeDee Lamb here, and they haven't even started hard knocks yet. I mean, what is what is the ceiling for where CeeDee Lamb's going to go in drafts, you think, Jared? Yeah, I mean, I guess he could get up to, you know, the Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, you know, kind of six, seven, eight territory. Um I don't know, man. I, I think it's getting a bit out of hand. Like, it's a whole, like, don't double count it. Like, we know C.D. Lamb is, is good at football. So, when you see him making these great plays in practice, like, it, it should not be 
raising him up your rankings. Like, you know, we, we know he's good. He's going to need either super crazy efficiency or Amari Cooper to miss time, I think, to, you know, pay off at, at the at the wide receiver 10 price. Yeah, there, there's there's no way that Kev Dog was using the Draft Sharks war room for that pick. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell you that much. But, but yeah, exactly. Like, everyone knows CeeDee Lamb is good. Uh, and if you don't, then you should stop playing, you know, for fantasy football. <laughs> but it, 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 it's about – it's about target share. It's about, you know, now, now listen, there, there is a world that's not too far away where he smashes, right? Where there's injuries to Cooper injuries to Gallup, you know, but there's also injuries right now to Dak Prescott. So, you know, I mean, I, I do want CD lamb. I just feel like he always goes a little bit earlier than I'm willing to pay. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's going to get the target share to have that. Cause even in the third round, you're trying to take receivers like AJ Brown, like DK Metcalf, who have a shot at top three upside as a as a wide receiver, and I don't I don't think he has I don't think T. Lamb has that unless there is major injuries to Cooper or or Gallup. Yeah, there are a couple of, of paths I need to walk down for this one. C. D. Lamb for me is not somebody I'm paying the price for that you have to to get him, but he's also not somebody that I'm saying you're stupid for paying the price on him because sure I, mean, I do think he could just go off this year no matter what exactly it needs to look like. It only helps that Amari Cooper is dealing with an ankle injury, has not come back to practice yet. So, I mean, at the very least, there's more risk to Amari Cooper than there would normally be. And I just read today where he actually had two separate injuries in the ankle. It was initially bone spurs, and then when he had the surgery to clean those up, he got more flexibility in the ankle, he said, and that allowed him to feel the second injury. So I guess that might explain why it took longer to recover from the surgery and taking longer to get back into football shape, I guess. So I, I think the Amari Cooper situation makes me wary of, I don't know, calling CD lamb an egregious pick at ADP. If we had a healthy Amari Cooper, I think it would be tough to see it, but it, it's easier to see that path. Now, the other thing here is Jared, I think every year Kevin does this to us is there are these sneaky players that he likes more than he ever tells us. And then we have to watch something like in draft to learn how he feels about him. Yeah. He, you know, he has mentioned to me before that I, I at least knew that he liked lamb over Cooper, even before, you know, kind of the, the Cooper missing the start of training camp stuff. So he has hinted at it at least. And, 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 you know, I, I don't want to come off, come across as a lamb hater. Like to, to me, the, the only guy, the only wide receiver, I can't see myself taking Lamb ahead of that. You know, Kevin did is Allen Robinson. I just think Allen Robinson is, is is as good as CD Lamb, and he's just such a safer bet for volume. Like Allen Robinson is gonna get 140 targets if he stays healthy this season. So I, as a you know volume guy, I, I can't take Lamb over Robinson. But honestly, beyond that, I'm fine with Lamb. So you know, he he didn't go much higher here than I than I'd take him at this point. I I like Terry McLaurin ahead of him. I mean, I listen. And this is the same situation like Mike Evans. Why is Lamb going ahead of Mike Evans? Like way ahead of Mike Evans. Not in this draft, although he's going three receivers ahead. Like it's the same situation. It's a it's a receiving it's a receiving core that's that's loaded. And Evans is going to the Hall of Fame, and he's in his prime. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna have another Evans meltdown all over again <laughs> a, a year later. Like, uh, and here he is, wide receiver 13 again, all over again. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, listen, nobody hates Lamb. Lamb's an absolute stud. He was a stud in college coming out. He was a high first round pick. It's just, it's a little bit early. It reminds me like Chris Godwin last year. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's pump the brakes on a second round Chris Godwin. The target share is, is, isn't going to be there. Um, he belongs probably more in the fourth round. But uh, 
But listen, if Cooper, if we get news, Cooper's not going to be ready for the season. I'll be the first person to click draft in late the, the late second round. So uh, we'll see. You're definitely not going to be the first person to do it. There are going to be plenty lining up to do it. They're just waiting for for it to get to that point. C.D. Lamb, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson went right in succession. I agree, Allen Robinson over both Lamb and McLaurin for me. I just think he's a safer bet, at least as good talent. Well, I guess I shouldn't say at least as good. He's right on par, at, at least, with those guys. Um, Chris Carson followed Allen Robinson. Mike Evans at the turn. Then Amari Cooper following him at wide receiver 14. So I wonder if that's a bit of flag planting for Jason Moore. His team now, Christian McCaffrey, Tom Brady, George Kittle, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, no matter what his ankle feels like. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Chris Godwin followed that pick. I think the knock on Mike Evans is that he did very well in the touchdown department. And I'm talking luck wise. Uh, I've heard some acknowledge how lucky Adam Thielen was in touchdowns last year. Mike Evans was similarly lucky in catching touchdowns last year. And I know Tom Brady helps, but even the best aren't going to be extremely lucky in scoring touchdowns every year. Mike Evans was somewhere around 30th in target share among wideouts in the league last season. Yeah. Thielen and Evans are similar to me that, you know, they obviously overachieved in the touchdown department last year, but but their usage, you know, inside the red zone and in the end zone was, was, you know, up near the top of the league. So and you know Evans especially because you know we we've seen multiple double digit touchdown seasons out of him. So you know he he probably won't score 13 times again this season. But I you know I'd set the over under at like nine and a half. Um, and same goes for Thielen, although maybe slightly lesser for him because you know he's not as proven a touchdown dominator. And I think you know Justin Jefferson is going to steal some of those red zone looks from him this season. Mm-hmm. Marty Cooper, Chris Godwin, Joe Burrow followed that pick off the board. Joe Burrow slipping in ADP a little bit and he doesn't sound happy about the way things are going with the Bengals offense lately, but I guess putting him on a team that already has Patrick Mahomes as its top quarterback and super flex is probably a good way to address him. What do you, what do you think, uh, Adam? Well, hold on. I'm not just going to let you slander Mike Evans real quick before I get a chance to, there's no such thing as, as lucky when you're six, five and you're in your, and you're in, your, in the prime of your career with Tom Brady, at quarterback, he also played. Didn't he have a high ankle sprain for like six weeks last year? That's all. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Joe Joe Burrow. Yeah, there's been some camp reports that uh, I think yesterday he was he was terrible. Um, that the, the offense is sluggish. Um, uh, you know, maybe there is something to that uh, article, Matt, about you know those guys coming off ACLs, those quarterbacks just having having a down year the, the next year. I'm not as high as I was on him earlier in the year. Um, QB 13 isn't, isn't terrible. There's so many weapons there, but, um, but yeah, that's, he's a guy I'm kind of, I'm kind of holding off on for now. Let's wait and see. Uh, maybe he just had a bad co- couple days, but yeah, that does, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. It's at least nice to not get the typical coach or player speak where a guy's just like, Oh, we're working through some things. Sure. Uh, it, it all feels good. I mean, it's good to hear something honest. You might, not if you're a Bengals fan, certainly not if you're a Bengals player, I'm sure, but at least we're getting honesty and we know what's going on in Cincinnati. Maybe we can uh, pump our brakes if we were excited about the Bengals offense a little bit. Miles Sanders followed Joe Burrow off the board. Then David Montgomery, they were running backs 18 and 19. I think that's right in the range where both of those guys belong. I think they both have upside from where they're going in drafts, but nice not to see them slide too far, which they are doing in a lot of best ball drafts at, at this point. Um, Adam, do you have a favorite between Miles Sanders, Dave Montgomery, or is there either guy that you're not really touching at cost right now? Yeah. Um, if I had to choose, I would choose Miles Sanders 
usually those guys are going um, in like the fourth round of FFPC drafts. And, and at that point, I'm usually taking a receiver. Um, but if I had to choose, I would choose Miles Sanders. I just think that he's got – it's hard to say he's got a higher upside because Montgomery smashed at the end of the year. But I think if they can – if they can work him into the screen game, I know they've been talking about getting a better screen game there. And, and I, and I know maybe Matt, you tweeted about Boston Scott yesterday, which would, you're right. It does. It does help Boston Scott. It does help kind of the pass catchers there, but I feel like Miles Sanders is, 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 a, is fine in the passing game too. So um, Hertz needs to kind of get that completion rate up, complete some of those short, shorter passes. And I feel like if they can work Miles Sanders into that, man, he's so, he's so explosive um, that would work a lot better for, for, for him than just pounding him in between the tackles. Jared, Mike Pareka's team certainly um, looking for receptions from those running backs, it looks like. He started with Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf to get that Seattle stack that we mentioned, Terry McLaurin in round four after that, then Miles Sanders, Travis Etienne, and now he's got Dallas Goddard in the seventh round. What do you think about Mike's build so far? Yeah, I like it. I mean, to me, to be able to get Miles Sanders and Travis Etienne as your top three running backs after not taking one in the first four rounds. I mean, I know it's the you know, quote-unquote running back dead zone, and no one wants to touch those guys. But I mean, you know, Sanders along with Montgomery, I think they're kind of priced near their floor, barring injury. Because you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if both those guys don't easily lead their backfield in carries. You know, and that alone should you know make them mid to lower end RB twos, and then. They, they both have the potential to, you know, see pretty solid target shares. We've seen Sanders do it in his first two seasons. In Montgomery, we saw him do it last year with Tree Cohen sideline, and, you know, there hasn't been much positive news on Cohen. So Montgomery's kind of been inching up my my rankings, you know, as it looks more and more like Cohen will at least be limited to start the season if he's out there at all. I'm going to have to look back at the dead zone running backs from last year at least, maybe beyond that. But it feels like there are some different player types in the dead zone this year in that round three to round five range. So that's why I want to check to see if I'm just misremembering. But, I mean, in Miles Sanders and David Montgomery, a couple of clear lead ball carriers for their team. And when you are in that role, you're getting lots of volume. It, I don't think – any of us is expecting either of those offenses to be terrific, but you don't need your offense to be terrific if you are getting that huge share of the backfield uh, touch volume. The, the difference to me this year with you know the, the dead zone stuff, and I, I should actually look this up to make sure it's true, but I'm going to say it anyways, is you know it feels like last year running backs going in rounds through three through five, it was like running back you know 20 through 28, whereas this year the running backs in rounds through three through five, it's like running back 15 through running back 22. So you know you're just getting a higher quality because all the dead zone talk is pushing running backs down the board so you know that that's why i think guys like sanders montgomery are actually fine picks in round four after david montgomery we had robert woods go to dan williamson's team then trey lance is qb 14 off the board that hype train is certainly chugging along right now uh it was interesting for me to hear john lynch though uh say on adam schefter's podcast that jimmy garoppolo is playing as well as he has since he got to san francisco so i don't know if they're trying to just publicly, I don't know, let Trey Lance know that it's not his job just yet or whether that's true about Jimmy Garoppolo. That's going to be a situation to watch. I think there's been more talk about worrying that Justin Fields isn't going to start and less with all of the excitement over Trey Lance that he's not going to start because it could be the same thing there. And I think if we're betting between San Francisco and Chicago, I would bet on the 49ers winning more games, thus making it more difficult to make that QB switch in season. Yeah, I think they might be propping him up to, to to trade him too. I mean, you know, but you know what? You know, Garoppolo's won in in the league, and it's very similar to 
like we've talked about before, that San Francisco situation. I'm sorry, that Kansas City Chiefs situation a couple of years ago. You know, it's like th- this team, this San Francisco team was so hurt last year. The year before they were in the Super Bowl. Like this team is loaded with, with, with talent. You know, if Garoppolo starts and, and doesn't lose, you know, how do you take him out? You know, but San Francisco has done that before. They did it with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think Lance is, Lance is fine where, where he's going. Um, and he's got that, that real nice upside, just like Justin Fields does. But, um, but yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see what direction the, the, the Niners want to take it. Let's talk about the roster that Trey Lance landed on in this particular draft. It's Anthony Amico at the seventh spot to begin with. Started with Lamar Jackson, Calvin Ridley, Jonathan Taylor in round three, Mark Andrews to get that Raven stack as the tight end six off the board in round four. Then he followed Trey Lance with Brandon Ayuk as the wide receiver 22, LaVisca Chenault uh, in the seventh round. So Jared, the two stacks so far, I think if Trey Lance starts early, I mean, this could be a dangerous roster. Yeah, it, it's a fun team with the stacks. Um, you know, I don't think anyone on this team is older than like 27, and that's, you know, Kelvin Ridley, like 27-year-old, 30-year wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it's er- too early on Ayuk. But, you know, the fact that he has Trey Lance, if, you know, Lance makes that a top-five offense, maybe Ayuk pays off there. But, you know, d- definitely a team where Anthony has a lot of guys who, you know, still have their best football ahead of them and, you know, could definitely – beat ADP here because of that. Yeah, I think we talked about him last night. Ayuk was one of those guys that I started out thinking he's going too early and I don't want any of them. And then I've, I've heard lots of smart fantasy folks recently talking up Ayuk as a, an upside pick where he's going. It just makes me, I don't know, worry a little bit on him and maybe rethink my stance and at least get some shares in case we get something good from him. But that, that whole offense is going to be interesting to watch from the quarterback to who's starting in the backfield to how the targets get distributed. I mean, we're all guessing on how it's going to go because there's so much change versus what they've had through the first, what, three, four years of Kyle Shanahan being there. What have you heard on Ayuk specifically that's kind of made you change your mind? Because I think it's, I think the the most specific thing I heard the other night, I was listening to Sean Kerner and um, Chris Raybon talk with actually Matt Harmon. And Matt Harmon was pointing out that Brandon Ayuk was a winner on all of the route types against man coverage as a rookie last year and that he's different in style than Debo Samuel. So you can definitely look at the two guys say that one was a late first rounder. One was an early second rounder. You know, they should be pretty close in terms of what they get target wise, but Brandon Ayuk is more of the downfield receiver, more of a traditional type of receiver. Whereas Debo Samuel is a shorter range guy as was shown by the league's lowest eight out last year. I think that's coming up, but how much, and how exactly does it work along with Ayuk? The bigger thing for me is how many targets are there? I have no idea what they're right. going to go with target split-wise. I think they'll be one of the more run-heavy teams in the league, so I don't know how many targets that is. But it's fairly concentrated. Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. So I don't know. I the, the unknown that scares me is really not having any idea how many targets to give to Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a volume thing first and foremost. Um, but then it's also like I'm super excited about Trey Lance this year, but I'm excited about him in fantasy because of the rushing. Like I, I still have questions about him as a passer. I mean, the guy made like 13 starts at the FCS level. Now he's gonna, you know, be in there in in, in the NFL. So I, I have you know concerns at the efficiency, which really has been strong in San Francisco's passing game, whether it's been Garoppolo or Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard. Like you know they they've been near the top of the league under Kyle Shanahan in yards per attempt. Um, so I'm just worried that even might take a step back with Lance under center. Yeah, and with Ayuk, it's not it's not that I'm totally changing it and chasing him now. 
I just want to make sure that I'm not totally out on him and I have a couple of shares here and there. I do think that at 22, you could kind of quibble over who went behind him that, that makes more sense. I would probably take Julio Jones over him. But I don't think there was anybody else that went over the next few picks at wide receiver that I'd say I'd definitely take that guy ahead of Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, that's it. No, I'm with you, Matt. I, I do want to get a couple more shares, but, you know, I listened to a podcast today. Uh, Dwayne McFarlane was talking about how, you know, um, when when him and Debo and Kittle were all healthy, he was third in targets last year. So it was all pretty close. But, you know, it, it that his, his A dot is deeper, obviously. And, and like you said, he runs different types of routes than Debo and Kittle do. So there is some upside there, and their schedule is insanely soft in the, for, for receivers. So, yeah, I think I want a little bit more of him. But, man, if you get in some of these main events, you know, you got guys like um, ship chasing guys. Man, they're taking him in, like, the fifth round. And I'm just like, it, you know, you're not getting any you're not getting any value on him. So if you want him in these higher stakes events, you got to pay a, pay a premium for him. Yeah, Ayuk is definitely not a chase guy that I, I'm going to get him wherever you need to. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with the volume questions. I mean, you know, there's also a thing about recently we've been seeing more second-year wide receiver leaps as opposed to where it used to be third-year wide receiver. It's tough to gauge much from what happened in San Francisco last year. I mean, Debo entered the season hurt. They all missed time. Kittle missed a lot of time. So, it's a small sample that we saw with any of them. And during that small sample, Brandon Ayuk is brand new to the NFL. So that's that's the thing that I guess is worrisome in both directions in that I don't really know what's going to happen this year on the good side or the bad side. It might just wind up being a pass offense I didn't want any pieces of. Yeah, I mean, my thing is, you know, wide receiver 22, I, th- I just think he's priced much, much closer to the ceiling than the floor. But sure. Yeah, the, the ceiling's definitely there for him for him to pay off. Trevor Lawrence followed Trey Lance off the board, QB 15. I would take Trevor Lawrence first. I think I, I think that the ceiling is pretty similar on both of those guys, and Trevor Lawrence is a better bet to start the season on the field. I know Trey Lance is the most dynamic runner in the class, but Trevor Lawrence it looked like Josh Allen around the goal line last year. He's a you know string bean, long-haired version of Josh Allen, but in terms of looking for the end zone and calling his own number on a bunch of plays, he did a lot of – uh, running for short touchdowns for Clemson last year. Yeah, I think, you know, Lawrence safer. The, the fact that we know he's going to be out there for week one, I just think he's safer as a more pro-ready prospect. I, I do think Lance beats him pretty easily in upside, though. I just, you know, I, I'm curious to see how much Jacksonville uses Lawrence's legs. Like, are they going to give him any design stuff? I know, I know for a fact that, you know, San Francisco is going to use Lance on design runs. So that's kind of where the difference in ceiling comes in for me with those two guys. DJ Moore went after uh, Trevor Lawrence. That was round five. We got Tyler Lockett after that at the wide receiver 18. Kirk Cousins, we talked about to so Scott Fish's team there. Uh, Scott Fish said he timed out on the set, on the round two pick and got Derrick Henry by accident, but that he was okay with Derrick Henry being that pick. Said he was planning to take Russell Wilson with that pick, so he would not have made it to Mike in that spot, Jared, and I think we would have been less surprised to see Russell Wilson go early in round two. Scott said, though, he was, he was fine pivoting strategy from there, so we'll see – where the team goes um, from that pick forward. Uh, Daryl Henderson went RB20 at the, what's that, the 5-6 the turn. Deontay Johnson, then Daryl Henderson to John Paulson's team. So John started with Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, then Keenan Allen, DeAndre Swift, Deontay Johnson, Daryl Henderson, Logan Thomas at tight end eight. Uh, that's right where he went last night, I believe. Still earlier than I would be comfy taking him. Um, Tyler Boyd was the last pick for John in round eight. Adam, anything stand out to you, good or bad, from that team so far? No, I think there's, you know, 
I think there's something to be said about you know super effects can be a little a little daunting, especially if you don't play in it often. And I and I don't get to play it in as much as I want to. And there's something to be said for guys that just like you know what. I'm just going to take quarterbacks, my first and second picks, and then just forget about it. Like then I can just go and work, especially again on the end. You usually see this a lot happen on the end, on the end of drafts on, on, on the turn, because guys, you don't know if you wait, you know, 24 picks go by and 12 quarterbacks could, could go, just go get two, two quarterbacks and just never have to worry about it for the rest of the draft. Just take kind of the best player available at the other positions. I'll be talking about last night. I don't love Logan, Logan Thomas, but Swift, yeah, I think I think Swift is right in that right in that range, right after the Edwards, Alaire, Harris, Chubb. Yeah, he goes right in there with Dobbins. So yeah, so I think I think that, that that's fine for him. And so nothing really stands out about about this team. But yeah, it looks like he wanted to get his two quarterbacks out of the way and just move on. After I'm the one that I'm surprised to see Logan Thomas go ahead of is Noah Fant, who went at tight end nine, um, well into round eight beyond that pick with Logan Thomas at the end of round seven. Jared, are you taking 10 picks between Logan Thomas and Noah Fan? How many times are you taking Logan Thomas? Uh, twice only. Uh, but I get, I mean, get the argument is that, you know, the, the volume that Thomas saw last year, and if you think he's going to get even 90% of that, then, you know, he probably is the pick over Noah Fan because I, I don't think, you know, Fan's going to get to 110, 120 targets, you know, barring a, a Cortland Sutton or, or Jerry Judy injury. So that that's the argument there. I, I think Fan is such a better player. Um, you know, he's still on the ascent, Logan Thomas, you know, maybe he still is too. He's older, but he hasn't played the position very long. I, I just think, you know, people are so excited about Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuels there. JD McKissick isn't going to disappear as a, you know, uh, option in that passing game. So I, I just think Thomas's volume is going to drop off quite a bit this season. Yeah. I, I think that's going to happen as well. It would be Noah fan for me, probably nine times out of 10. I mean, you know, it certainly could get the volume. I think Curtis Samuels, um, what is it, a hamstring injury or a groin uh, that's keeping him out? That certainly helps Logan Thomas a bit, but I, I think that we got, I don't know, the wrong picture of his role from how he finished last season volume-wise. We mentioned it last night. So obviously John knows what he's doing, so we'll see what Logan Thomas does this season, but that would be my lean as Noah Fant over, Lo- over Logan Thomas. Um, going around, back around that turn, uh, Scott Fish took Miles Gaskin just before Logan Thomas took Kenny Galladay in round eight, he's the 33rd wide receiver off the board. Adam, I think that's a more fair spot for him. He's now got the mild hamstring issue that he's nursing, but I mean, I think any, anywhere in the thirties is okay for Kenny Galladay at this point. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you know, everyone's, um, you know, everyone's panicking on that, on that giants offense. And, and you know, what, what do we know about that offense? They're going to throw fade routes from the two yard line. And where does Kenny Galladay run? He runs fade routes from the two-yard line. So, you know, they're not a highly successful route, but uh, he could score seven, eight, nine times on that. You know, I don't – I don't. I, I mean, I like Kenny Galladay in best ball, which is what this is, over Tyler Boyd who went in front of him. I mean, Boyd is a steadier player. He's more consistent, I think. But if you're looking for spike weeks, I think Galladay's the guy. I know we, I know he's hurt, but I think he's going to have more, more spike weeks than, than a guy like Tyler Boyd or even Juju would have. Kareem Hunt followed Kenny Galladay off the board. Then it was Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 34. We saw Jerry Judy slide to wide receiver 40 last night. He went wide receiver 27 in this draft, which is much closer to his current ADP, and I think certainly a much fairer position. We saw Cortland Sutton going, I believe, well ahead, at least uh, at least a decent amount ahead of Jerry Judy back at the beginning of draft season, but that has shifted ADP-wise. And I think this is probably where it belongs between the two of them, don't you, Jared? 
I do, yeah. And, you know, th- those two guys, Galladay and Sutton, seem like fallers right now. Adam, you know, talked about the stuff with the Giants offense and the hamstring, obviously. You know, it's it's early August. He, you know, he's on a, on a new team, new offense, new quarterbacks. So I'm not panicking with Galladay. I'd actually be a buyer at wide receiver 33, which I, I you know, didn't think I'd be a Galladay buyer three months ago. And then same deal with Sutton. He seems like he's falling. Um, you know, Judy's lighting it up in Broncos camp. Sutton, there's some reports that, you know, he's still not totally trusting that knee after the torn ACL. But, you know, wide receiver 34, you know, I, I can see Sutton getting off to a slow start. But I still think, you know, at least by the second half of the season, I think you'll be happy if you are able to get him at wide receiver 34. Uh, he's been a low exposure guy for me. I'm not too worried about missing out on anything special from Sutton this year. But, you know, we'll see. There's certainly that upside to him. Galladay is, is a guy that I want only in best ball season. I don't think I want him on a team where I have to decide whether to start him during the year. Um, Adam, let's look at Jerry Hooten's team. We started with Dak Prescott in round one, then Stephon Diggs, so obviously you're going to like his roster. Nick Chubb, round three. J.K. Dobbins, round four. D.J. Moore, Cooper Cup. Ben Roethlisberger is the 22nd quarterback off the board in round seven. Cortland Sutton was his pick in round eight. E.J. Chark in round nine. Wide receiver 41 is kind of a low-risk level for D.J. Chark. And then in uh, the most recent round, he just took Johnny Smith as his first tight end. Tight end 13 off the board in round 10. Adam, what do you think about this build so far? Yeah, I, I, I like it. He's got uh, he's got Prescott. It's kind of anchors quarterbacks there. Um, I like Chubb more, you know, as RB 13. You know, he, the the pass catching upside not too high. I mean, he's obviously a sensational running back. Uh, o line's awesome there. So I think I like him more as as an RB 13. I've seen t- I've seen him taken. You know, higher up in the RB ten range ahead of Joe Mix and stuff like that. I think this is where he where he belongs. Um, Dobbins, you know, RB sixteen. It's kind of where where he belongs. So yeah, he got those. Those are fine picks. Love, love Cooper Cup. I wish. I'm trying to see here. I, I, I wish Theo would have grabbed him to stack with Stafford, um, but that but that that didn't happen. But um, but yeah. So no, I love I love Cooper Cup. Roethlisberger, if he can stay healthy, he'll be fine. I like the build. I like the. Um, where, where he got some of these guys. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, th- I think this is fine the way, the way he's building this, this team. Yeah, and Theo had the shot at Cooper Cup in round six, picked right before Cup left the board. He took Justin Fields with that pick. So, you know, obviously didn't care that much about getting the stack with those two particulars. And, and I'm, you know, I'm sure saw the upside in Justin Fields and went that way. Well, that's one of the things worth watching in drafts like this is who cares about the stack what stacks seem like they might be forced and what kind of fall to players as we, as we see happen at times too. Yeah. yeah. I would guess that uh, Theo, you know, considered cup, but you know, he, he just prioritized getting that second quarterback and, you know, in Justin Fields guy who, you know, I think we're all excited about the upside. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you guys real, real quick. I know we, we haven't talked about Dobbins for a couple months, kind of since the, since the rankings came out, he's a guy that I'm really terrified to not have any shares of because I feel like he's so talented. And if they just decide uh, without letting us know that they're going to start throwing the ball to the running back, he could be, he's his upside is through the roof. Have you guys found your, find yourself taking him at all just to get some shares of him or is just, you know, normally he goes in like the middle of the third or beginning of the third round. Is that just too steep? I like the fact that underdog is half PPR. That's actually where I, some J.K. Dobbins, you know, he, he gets into the fourth round sometimes on underdog, and even in the back half of round three, I think Dobbins, um, you know, makes sense in half PPR. In the full PPR, I think RB sixteen is too high. I mean, yeah, yeah, Adam, you mentioned all those things, all the ifs. If those all go in Dobbins' favor, yeah, he, he's gonna, you know, beat 
RB 16. I just, I, I you know that that's not a bet. I'm going to make guys like Lamar Jackson, those running quarterbacks, we know they target running backs at a lower rate. You know, that's been the case with Lamar through his first two seasons. Um, Gus Edwards is not going away. I mean, he, he's good. He, yeah. I mean, he, he beat Dobbins in uh, PFF rushing grade last year. Gus Edwards averaged five yards per carry. You know, Dobbins was up at six, but you know, Gus Edwards is good. Baltimore just gave him that new contract. I don't think he's going away. So I, I just, I don't, I don't see, you know, Dobbins will need a lot to break right in his favor to, you know, pay off at RB 16. As Dobbins, I mean, I had absolutely no Dobbins in round two, and I was shocked to see him start draft season in that range. When he got to the end of round three and when he gets to that 3-4 turn and underdog, I'm definitely taking a couple of shares just in case some things happen. I think, though, for him to ultimately hit his ceiling, Gus Edwards has to get hurt. And obviously that's possible, but that's not something I want to bet on with a round three pick. That's something I would rather take a chance on later in the draft. And I think with Gus Edwards healthy – the ultimate ceiling for J.K. Dobbins still finds him with playing a quarterback who's bad for his ultimate scoring ceiling. I mean, Lamar Jackson is not going to turn into Phillip Rivers, even if they throw him the ball more and they pretty much have to. Uh, What's the upside for receptions? Maybe like maybe he gets to 30. I'm not sure that he gets a whole lot beyond that. And he's not going to get, you know, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook carry numbers to offset that. What's the touchdown upside? I mean, Baltimore could score a ton. And then he would get a nice share of that. But Lamar Jackson's always going to take some of those ground scores. So, you know, I can get being excited about J.K. Dobbins, and I don't want to have zero exposure to J.K. Dobbins, but he's not one of those – he's not a smash value for me at any point where he's going in drafts this year. Yeah, I get it. So we went to that Jerry Hooten team here. Beyond him was Rich Rebar. Um, we mentioned took Trevor Lawrence a few rounds back, took T. Higgins after that, took Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel, Chase Edmonds, the running back 26 off the board here in round nine. Will Fuller, his last pick in round 10. So Rich has Kyler Murray to go with Trevor Lawrence. Nice couple of upside quarterbacks there. A.J. Brown in round four. Chase Edmonds was his second running back. He took Zeke back in round two. So we've seen a few teams take a running back early and then wait. Uh, we'll get to Anthony Amico's roster in a minute. Jared, anything stand out to you about Rich's build so far here? I mean, the the wide receivers are sweet, obviously. I, I love those first four in particular. He's obviously he's solid at quarterback. I think getting Chase Edmonds at RB twenty six in the ninth round here, um, you know, in a full PPR. I'm not sure how carries are going to be divvied in Arizona yet between Edmonds and, and James Conner, but you know, Edmonds is pretty much locked in as the lead pass catching back, caught, you know, 50 plus balls last year. So I think Evans is a nice value at RB 26. So, you know, Rich just needs to, you know, build some running back depth, try to hit on some guys later here and then figure out tight end. I'm disappointed that we haven't seen any videos yet of James Conner taking Chase Edmonds out to chop logs and then throw him backward over his head. (laughs) Seems like something Conner should have brought to the desert. Anthony Amico is drafting next to Rich Rebar here. We alluded to his team a minute ago. Lamar Jackson started it off. Calvin Ridley, Jonathan Taylor, Mark Andrews, Trey Lance, Brandon Ayuk, LaVisca Chenault, Daniel Jones, his third quarterback. I believe he was the first team to take that third quarterback. Uh, Brandon Cooks then at wide receiver 40. Nicole Hardman at wide receiver 45. He is a team that has only taken one running back and might be the only team now still sitting on one running back. It looks like it. I think he's the only... Team on the board with one blue tile. Adam, what do you think about what Anthony's got going to this point? Yeah, I was just looking through to see because last year in this in this in the invitational, you know, a lot of the success was the teams that took, you know, that early stud quarter stud running back um and then didn't take one for a for, for a long time. You know, uh, Pete Overs at the overall champ did that. 
Um, Jack Miller did that, and I think he did that again yesterday. Um, no one really did that today, but this Jonathan Taylor in the third would be the most similar thing. But I don't think that was his strategy to do that because, you know, it's hard to do that. Even if you think Taylor's a, a stud, you know, you can't plan on getting him in the third in the third round, right? So I think it just is how, how it's fallen for him. Um, but I don't, but I don't mind the, the, the strategy, right? He's got it. He's got a stud quarterback, stud receiver, stud running back, stud tight end. And then he came back and got two more, two more quarterbacks. So I think those quarterback spots, he's going to look really good. Uh, receiver, he's going to look really good because he took one, two, three, four, five in the first 10 rounds. Right. So uh, yeah, I think he's going to be fine at quarterback receiver. He's got a stud tight end. Let's see what he can do. That's always the question is what can these, modified zero RB guys do, can they get the right players at running back to follow them in these, in these mid rounds? He's still got another 15 picks to sort out this roster. Jared, what do you think so far? That's exactly what I was just going to say. And something we haven't talked about over these first two nights yet is the fact that, you know, we go 25 rounds here and there's no kickers and no defenses. So you have a ton of roster spots to play with. You know, Anthony can take eight running backs by the end of this thing. I think that's something similar to what Pete Overzet did last year. I, I remember looking at his board last night and he, he pounded running back late. And one of the guys he, he got was Mike Davis, which you know I think ended up being the reason he won that league last year. So the fact that there are so many rounds, I think makes going super light at one position more viable here than it does on, you know, say underdog where you only have 18. Picks. Yeah. 87 running backs went off the board in last night's night one DS invitational draft, 120 <laughs> wide receivers off the board. So, Right, we've probably got another 20 minutes or so on this stream, but the draft is going to keep going well beyond that. You can follow the draft board itself. The link is in the draft charts discord. We will show you the full results tomorrow as well. It will be interesting to see how Anthony fills out his roster. Dan Williamson drafting next to him, Travis Kelsey, Antonio Gibson, CEH, Jalen Hurts, Robert Woods, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham. So he's got the Brown stack there in the middle. Uh, Baker Mayfield was the 19th quarterback. Beckham, the 28th wide receiver. So I think both of those right about where they're going ADP-wise. Then we got is that Antonio Brown is the 36th wide receiver off the board. So that's a little bit earlier, earlier than we're seeing him go ADP-wise. Not a ton earlier, but a little bit earlier. So I think with Brown, along with the Antonio Gibson pick that we mentioned earlier, some guys that it seems like Dan likes, right, Adam? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think he, he, he's definitely getting his guys. But I also noticed, too uh, – Sam Darnold on the rise. I mean, he rose yesterday. He's rising. He's rising again today. I think uh, who took? Oh, Dog. Let's go. I love it. And the cool thing about these this format again is that is that teams can really go get their their guys um, because there's you know you pick your own strategy, right? There's no no, no one's going to say that you're you're crazy unless you don't take a quarterback for the first twelve rounds. So um, yeah, it's 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 really cool to see kind of who people plant their flag on and what type of strategy these guys are going to go with. Now, Adam, Sam Darnold grew up in California. He went to college in California. Then he started his career in New York City. Are we at all worried about him now going to Charlotte? Like, I don't know if you can find avocado toast in Charlotte. Well, he's not from Firebach, California. I'll tell you that much. Because if he was, then I'd definitely be all in on him. But um, 
but yeah, no, avocado toast, not my, not, not my cup of tea. Uh, that's probably in Charlotte at this point, to be fair, but I'm not sure that they have as many sprouts as he's probably used to from his days growing <laughs> up in California. Back to Dan's team, because I noticed that another bit of a flag-planting player, a guy that Jared likes, no matter how many times I tell him to stop liking him, was Rondale Moore, his round 11 pick, wide receiver 51. So, you know, it's obviously not a, a spot that's killing anybody if a guy doesn't pay off, but it's ahead of ADP and ahead of where I'd take him, Jared. Yeah, I mean, that's a few spots later than I, I'm drafting him. You know, and he's already showing out in camp here. A.J. Green, surprise, surprise, is sidelined with, with some injury as a, you know, 32-year-old or whatever he is now. I think I think Christian Kirk's been missing time as well. So, you know, it's kind of all green light here for more to carve out a role. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the player in, in that offense. Uh, I think he's a perfect fit. And before that, he had the Zach Wilson-Michael Carter stack, which just, you know, might be the, the rocket ship we need in this tournament. Jets, baby. J-E-T-S. <laughs> no, I like I like Michael Carter a lot. He usually goes around RB 28, 29. Yeah, he's been having a phenomenal camp. Uh, I think he's the pa- he's obviously the pass catching back there, and I think he's a guy that has massive upside on a team that's not supposed to win a lot of games as the pass catching running back. You know, I mean, how much is, is his upside past RB 28? You know, it's probably not you know top ten, but um, if he could if he could stay healthy, he's certainly a high end RB two. And he went, let's see, RB28 versus Javante Williams at RB25 in this draft, but nearly two rounds of separation between the two guys here. Um, So interesting to note between two college teammates. And, and, I mean, they're different player types, but they're both in situations where fantasy drafters really think that they're going to be the top running backs in their backfield this year. We'll see where both of those go. Not a couple players that I've been – targeting but you know guys guys that i'll take a few shares of here and there let's talk about kevin's team now which we've glanced over a few times but we've got the josh allen start that just you know always makes adam grin like a we won't go any further with that austin eckler (laughs) joe mixon cd lamb david montgomery Tua tango vialoa to the dolphins fan in the sixth round jerry judy at wide receiver 27 so we would see maybe how much further he would go if he got close to last night's price um, if he got past Kevin there, Sam Darnold, the QB 24 off the board in round eight, Tyler Higby, tight end 11 in round nine, Darnell Mooney in round 10, and then Cole Beasley in round 11. As long as Cole Beasley doesn't decide to quit America just because somebody told him he should get a shot. I mean, there's nothing but value from Cole Beasley in that spot, right, Adam? Yeah, I mean, you get that nice little Allen Be- Beasley stack, right? We're working. Um yeah, no, I like yeah, like you said it about Beasley. If he plays, that's that's a, that's a smash. I feel like Kev Dog's like a tight end whisperer. I feel like he's always got a tight end or two every year that he always is able to uh, to kind of pick behind ADP that always smashes. Now I know Higby's not really a sleeper, but uh, it makes me happy to see that that Kevin is on the is on the Hig- Higby train. Obviously, you know how I feel about Sam Darnold. Tua, I, I'm actually I'm coming around on Tua. Um, I think the weapons there are just – he has so many weapons, and his O-line is so good that he'd have to be really terrible to not to not pay off QB 20. So I, th- I think that's perfectly fine there. And be able to wait on, and get a guy like Tua uh, allows you to kind of smash at the running back like he did there, Eckler, Mixon, um, Montgomery. Um, and hopefully he waits a while before he takes another one because uh, you don't really need to take too many running backs after you have those three. Jared, what do you think the ceiling is on Tua this year? I think he could flirt with top twelve numbers. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with Adam that the Dolphins' O line is awesome. I think you know that's that's my biggest concern for two is I think the O line still 
a question mark. And then you, you have, uh, you know, Devontae Parker's already been banged up in camp and Will Fuller's sideline. So the, the, and uh, you got Waddle coming off the, you know, serious injury. So the, the wide receivers are, you know, injury risks, durability risks. I think if they're all healthy, that, you know, could be a top 10 wide receiver trio in the NFL. I, I, I think Tua, his struggles last year shouldn't have come as a major surprise. And one, he's a rookie quarterback. Two, he's coming off the major hip injury. But I think he's capable of taking a big step forward this season. He provided, you know, decent rushing production last year and nothing, you know, difference making, but, you know, something to, to just boost the fantasy production a bit. And, he, you know, that could take a step forward this year too. Uh, you know, with a hip injury, another year removed. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I think he he could finish as a top 15 or so quarterback this year. I'm going to be interested to see how he does durability-wise in general in the NFL because he's a bit on the small side. And I don't know. Obviously, a guy like Drew Brees was on the small side but didn't run a whole lot. So I'm curious to see how much Tua runs and whether he's big enough to hold up through it. But we've also seen lately that running quarterbacks actually don't get hurt as much as – pocket quarterback. So, you know, it might be something that I just mentioned for absolutely no reason. So we'll move on to Mike Pareka's team in this draft. Uh, a long gap between his quarterbacks, but he added his second one recently. Started with Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, as we mentioned, got the Metcalf stack, Terry McLaurin, Miles Sanders, Travis Etienne, Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant back-to-back at tight end. I like those. Goddard could be the target leader for the Eagles, especially with Devontae Smith battling what might or might not be a significant knee sprain. He, I believe that's Devontae Smith on his team, though, in round nine, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then Trey Sermon following that. Carson Wentz, QB 31 in round 11. And he just took Gerald Everett as his third tight end off the board. Adam, anything stand out to you on Mike's team so far? It's interesting. I'm just looking up. Like, How old is, it, is Zach Ertz? Is he, is he dead? He's like 30 or 31, I think, right? I, mean, I was going to say. 30, yeah, he's thir- – I mean – Oh my goodness! I could see the path for Zacherts a little bit more before he showed up to training camp in the Billy Idol costume. <laughs> that, he's I mean, rejuvenated with that with that with that haircut. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's not rejuvenated. That's when you're trying to audition for the part of Puck on the one of the first real world seasons. <laughs> he's thirty. Like, he's thirty years old. Like again. Do I think he's as good as Goddard at this point in his career? No. But if he stays on the Eagles, that's a huge, like, that's a huge downgrade for, for Goddard. You know, so I don't, I don't know. I just don't see, and I know Goddard's is, is Hurts' favorite target, and I get all that. But, man, if Hurts stays there, he's not going anywhere. Like, I don't know. I just, I just can't get on the Goddard train until Hurts is in a Buffalo Bills un- uniform. So, I, I don't know. Well, tell him to step it up and offer a worthwhile draft pick and make it happen. Jared, what do you think about this roster? <laughs> yeah, just with with, with uh, Goddard and Ertz, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I'd say Ertz is a huge problem for Goddard because I do think he's on the downside of his career. And, and you know, his relationship with the Eagles has been rocky. So I'm not, you know, th- they could scale back his role even if he does stick around. And I do still think there, there's a decent chance that he's on another roster. If not by week one, then, you know, by, by the NFL trade deadline at least. I like what Mike has done at wide receiver and running back. You know, quarterback worries me a bit with Wentz as your second, where you know he 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 could miss the first two months of the season. We'll see, you know, what else Mike adds. And then at tight end, you know, I have no issue with Goddard and Fant in the seventh and eighth. Um, I'm not sure I would have you know come back and spent a twelfth rounder on Gerald Everett after that though. Yeah, I mean, that could help ensure against the lack of a quarterback early in the season, though, where you have the two flex spots and the tight end premium. So, I don't know. 
Um, Zach Wilson was somebody he could have taken instead of Devontae Smith. I would at least give you somebody that is likely to start throughout the season. Uh, who else could have been options? Noah Fant versus, I mean, Jared Goff, Ryan Fitzpatrick were the next quarterbacks off the board after that. So I would have taken Noah Fant there. So, you know, it'd be interesting to, to ask Mike whether that was the plan to just wait a while before addressing quarterback behind Russell Wilson, or if that's just how the picks fell out and he didn't get any of the quarterbacks that he was hoping to see get to those specific spots. Round seven, I think, was another one where, well, no, Derek Carr went off the board right before he took Goddard. So we'll move to Graham Barfield's team, and he just took three straight tight ends. Um, Jared, I'm sure that you feel a little bit differently looking yeah. at where he took those tight ends than you did with the third that Mike chose. Right, because, I mean, Graham kind of ignored the – you know, he, he did ignore the position through the first 10 rounds, and then he just, you know, kind of loads up and he's just playing the, the numbers game with Johnny Smith, Adam Trauma, and Austin Hooper and just hoping that those three guys combined can, you know, get him by at tight end. So I think, you know, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I do think, you know, around Hooper, there might be a couple guys left that I'm missing, but around here is where there's kind of a drop at a tight end, and then you're just kind of, you know, throwing darts at guys you hope are going to have a role. Yeah, and I did assign the wrong Smith to Jerry Hooten's team earlier. I said Johnu Smith. He took Irv Smith as the tight end 13. That was in round 10. Uh, it took almost a round's worth of picks after that to get to Johnu Smith at tight end 14. Then, as you mentioned, Johnu Smith, Adam Troutman, Austin Hooper, three straight picks for Graham Barfield. He's got to be happy, I think, to take Austin Hooper as the tight end 18 and the third in that particular build. It could very well be done with tight end completely in round 13 with 12 rounds left to go to address all the other positions. So um, Troutman also joins Michael Thomas in a bit of a Saints stack on that team. Michael Gallup is on that team before that. He took Javante Williams, took Chase Claypool, Adam Thielen as the wide receiver 23. So we saw Thielen, one of the surprisingly early picks last night, went wide receiver 13 to Ian Allen's team. Wide receiver 23 has been more like where you can expect to see him to go. Uh, Joe Burrow, Allen Robinson, Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, Patrick Mahomes rounds out the roster for Graham here. The next team over just took Kenyon Drake, Damian Harris, the past two picks. That's Billy Muzio's team. Took Elijah Moore at wide receiver 49, Jarvis Landry before that, Evan Ingram at tight end 10. Jerry, that's somebody that you and I have talked about a bit, both offline and on the podcast lately, but tight end 10 is earlier than he's been going in ADP, so a slight flag plant for Billy on that pick. Yeah, I like Higby pretty easily ahead of Ingram, and then I'd, I'd even take um, Irv Smith ahead of Ingram, but I, I, Ingram's ADP is like tight end 14, and that's kind of the price I'm buying, you know, just, just based on the talent that I, I do think is there, and I, I, I still think he's going to be a big part of that passing game. Like, they, they have bodies in New York, but I think, you know, Kenny Galladay is the only guy who's, you know, going to c- command – a significant part of that passing game. So I think Ingram will still be in the mix to, you know, finish second or third on that team in targets. Yeah. I, I'll take Ingram easily over Irv Smith. I, I think you can go either way between Ingram and Higby. The, the question on Higby obviously is if there's anything even in the neighborhood of what he did at the end of 2019, or if 2020 is just what we should get used to. Of course, the, the other question is if Jacob Harris is just going to come in and be Kyle Pitts. Doubt it, but. You never know. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't bet on it either, but I, I mean, it seems like every time I blink, there's some uh, highlight with Jacob Harris doing something deep downfield. So Billy Muzio, the, re- the rest of his team is Jared Goff as a QB 25. Derek Carr as a QB 21. Took those guys in back-to-back rounds. Jamar Chase, Chris Godwin, Chris Carson, Ryan Tannehill, DeAndre Hopkins, Dalvin Cook. Uh, anything stand out to you there, Adam? Uh, yeah, so I like um, – well, Elijah Moore as wide receiver 49. I'm surprised there's so much hype on him right now. 
um, and probably justified that I'm su surprised he didn't go a little bit higher. So I think it's a really good pick for him there. And I mean, he legit could be the num number one receiver there. So I, I really like that. Yeah, tight end 10 for Ingram's a little bit high. Last night he went tight end 13 um, in the 11th round. But, yeah, I just think the Giants are just a mess. And Ingram, I think, is super talented, uh, but he just needs to get out of, out of New York or something because I don't think we're ever going to see – um, see him get back to where he was, like even like his, his rookie year. But yeah, three quarterbacks by round eight's fine, especially when you're when you're gonna wait a little, little bit on them. Um, I probably, you know, I would have taken Stafford over over Tannehill, but other than that, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind his, his draft so far. Jason Moore's team that started us off and sits at the one-two turn, or no, I'm sorry, at the two-three turn because he started with the pick at number one. Beyond McCaffrey, Tom Brady, George Kittle, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, Josh Jacobs, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, wide receiver 37, um, David Johnson at running back 30, Jameis Winston at QB 30, just ahead of Carson Wentz in round 11, James Conner running back 37, Emmanuel Sanders at wide receiver 60. Uh, Jared, I'd be curious to know if Kevin would have taken Emmanuel Sanders because later in round 13 he took Gabriel Davis to keep building on those mid to later round Bills passing game options. I maybe Kevin is is listening and can tell us in the chat if he would have taken Emmanuel Sanders over Gabe Davis. But Jared, I think that's your lean right now is Sanders ahead of Davis, right? Yeah, my lean's starting to become Sanders ahead of Cole Beasley even. Um yeah. I, I think Sanders might finish second on that team in fantasy points. So I like him at wide receiver sixty. And then um you know Jason Moore taking like two of the running backs that like no one wants to take and kind of biting the bullet on David Johnson and James Conner kind of on everyone's hate list. But um, I think both of those guys um, could pay off of those price tags and David Johnson. I just, I just think he's going to be the, the lead pass catching back in Houston's backfield. Um, you know, Philip Lindsay, I could see out carrying him, but I think Johnson's going to be the pass catcher on a bad football team with a pretty weak wide receiver core. So I think Johnson could rack up a sneaky amount of, uh, target volume this season and then uh, as I mentioned you know when we talked about Chase Edmonds I think there's a chance that you know James Conner kind of just plays the Kenyon Drake role this season and you know carries 200 plus times if his if his body holds up so at, at RB 37 I think that's that's the right spot for him yeah certainly a fine spot to take a shot on him and Jason Moore is an Arizona guy so I'm sure he's not sad to have James Conner on his roster to see what happens. Uh, Kevin did say in the chat that it would be Emmanuel Sanders over Gabe Davis for him. So certainly a fallback pick. Uh, let's, what do you say we carry this through round 14 and then we'll call it a night for the stream guys. Does that work for you? We're sure. We're almost halfway through round 14 as we speak. Uh, Scott fish said around 12, 13 was a killer for him. Wait for him another seven rounds when people are still sniping you, even though you're picking, you know, running back 68, uh, it, it, it's a frustrating draft. It's a frustrating room, but that's part of the fun of the draft tracks invitational. We still got four more of these drafts. We've got one Thursday night starting at nine o'clock. So Adam's going to have to take a nap before that one. Sure. Am. Got three of them next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, eight o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, all Eastern times. So, you know, if you're out on the West coast, you can do the draft shark stream and then still go out later that night. Um, getting back to the picks, though, we had Emmanuel Sanders, Kenyon Drake, Austin Hooper, Tony Pollard at running back 39. It's a little early for me, um, but, you know, people like him. Then after that was the Gabe Davis pick to Kevin's team. We had Rob Gronkowski go off after that. Hunter Henry at tight end 20. Jared, is Hunter Henry underrated at this point? I, it's tough to get excited about any pass catcher really in New England, but at, at tight end 20, given what they paid him and what he's done before. 
Yeah, I think he's underrated. I like both those Patriots tight ends. I know Adam has a few teams where he's stacked both of them. I think that that makes sense. I, mean, I think Henry and Johnny Smith could finish one, two on that team and targets this season. Um, you know, both talented guys, both guys who can, you know, do damage in the passing game. They've shown it. They need Mac Jones under center, I think, though. I, you know, I think that Patriots offense is going to look similar to what it did last year if Cam Newton's under center. New England ranks uh, second last in both pass rate and passing attempts. So that just makes it tough to get, you know, uh, viable fantasy options in that passing game. But if Mac Jones gets under center, and, and I do think he will this year, I'm not sure exactly how early, and that, that's going to impact Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry's. Uh, fantasy production but I, I think if he's under center that at least one of those guys you know is going to pay off maybe not both because that that can be tough um, but at least one of them at you know both going outside the top t- top 12 tight ends in ADP I think uh, they're they're worth some shots yeah I think we should expect Cam Newton to pass better this year than he did last year given the injury situation I mean he came into the to to the team getting over some stuff had COVID during the season um, you know, had a limited time to get used to the new surroundings. So I think he should be better. I also agree that a switch to Mac Jones is probably the ultimate upside move for any of the pass catching options in New England this season. Um, Adam, if you had the choice and we did have that possibility for Graham's team where he already had John U. Smith and then he chose Austin Hooper with Hunter Henry still on the board, do you think that you would have taken Hunter Henry instead of Hooper to stack those two Patriots tight ends together or – just get one of them and then go for the number one guy in Cleveland and not spend too much capital on the Patriots. Yeah, no, I, I would go with Henry, you know, as soon as free agency opened, they, they, you know, they paid both these guys uh, largely and quickly. Um, I think they want to go, um, they want to run the ball. They want to use tight ends um, similar to they, when they did with Aaron, you know, Aaron Hernandez and, and, and Grok, you know what I mean? But, but they, but like Jared said, they, they really need Mac Jones. I mean, Ken Newton threw eight touchdowns in 15 games last year. That's freaking impossible in 2020. <laughs> eight touchdowns in 15 games. Like that's it's you. It doesn't get worse the worse than that. So you need Mac. You need Mac Jones, uh, especially because when they get down to the goal line, Cam Newton's going to be running the ball, and that's a lot of times where tight ends get those free touchdowns from play action. The tight ends wide open in the in the end zone. Um, if we can get Mac Jones in there and get, uh, I think both those tight ends can kill their, uh, ADP for sure. And before we move on, cause I know we're at the end there, um, Zach Moss at RB 44, like I'm a totally not a bills running back guy, but that's a, that's, that's, I, I can't tell who made that pick, but, um, at, in, in the 14th round at RB 44 for Dan Williamson, that's, that's, you know, that's a great pick. I was gonna say I was gonna say I like all those running backs that went uh, in the early 14th round. There, I I actually prefer uh, Jamal Williams and Leonard Fournette to Zach Moss, and I think Latavius Murray is a nice pick too. You know, a guy who could have some standalone value, but also you know we know he is an elite handcuff. You know, he's he's probably going to be a top 12 guy if Kamara misses time. Yeah, I, I like that the the running backs that went in that range as well. Oh, I think it's interesting to note among the Dolphins receivers that I just saw Devontae Parker go. Uh, late in round 13 as wide receiver 62. Jalen Waddle went wide receiver 42 four rounds earlier. We saw Will Fuller go in round 10 following Waddle. So a lot of separation among those guys. Waddle to Fuller, um, just one wide receiver between them, but then 18 more between Fuller and Parker. Jared, is that how you would sort them out, or do you think that's too big a gap? 
it's too big a gap. That's you know, I, well, I I rank them Fuller, Waddle, Parker, but they're all super close, and I think they should all be going within a round or two of each other. I think I think Waddle and Fuller went in fine spots. Devontae Parker at wide receiver sixty-two. I'm I'm not really on him this season, but I would definitely take him at wide receiver sixty-two. There, there's there's a chance that you know he leads the Dolphins in targets this season. And before we head out, Scott said that uh, he added to the, his comment about 12-13 being a killer. He passed on a tight end, he said, figuring he'd get somebody coming back to him, but then watched eight tight ends leave the board before it got back to his turn. He just took his third tight end, Zach Ertz, in round 14. So he and Adam are now cheering for Billy Idol as the number two <laughs> tight end of the Eagles. Uh, Jimmy Kemsky did say this week that he still thinks Zach Ertz will get traded. You have to wonder exactly what that's based on, though, other than the two sides not seeming to like each other that much anymore. But, you know, we'll see. There's still bound to be some injuries in training camp. So that's going to do it for the stream of this draft tonight. You can follow along in the Draft Sharks Discord to see all of the results through round 25. I don't care if the drafters are tired. They're going to have to keep going until the end if they want to win this prize. It will be a challenge right up to the end. We're going to head out, though, now. As I said, full po- the full draft board will be on Draft Sharks Twitter at completion recap of the drafts on podcast. We'll talk to some of the guys that had some of the most interesting builds, ask them our questions. Of course, if you have any drafts coming up with unique formats or even just common setups for fantasy, make sure that you are equipped with the brand new draft sharks war room. We will take your specific league settings, customize our projections to your format. Then we will sync it with your league hosting site to maximize your draft experience, help you beat your league. Become a DS Insider today, and even if you're not ready to make that leap and become an insider yet, you can join us for free in the Draft Sharks Discord. A bunch of guys already have tonight. There are plenty of people in there who have already been talking about their drafts, asking questions, and bouncing things off of people. So check the post on YouTube for this, for the link, for our Discord, and join us there. Ask us your questions, and just talk to us about fantasy. For Jared Smola, Adam Krautwurst, and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us.